Hello and welcome everybody again to the second episode now of the relaunch of Radio Elevate. My name's Cody Fair. I'm joined by Jennifer Fair. And we are a married couple who are in happily wedded bliss for the <laughs> second episode of Radio Elevate. Last week we talked all about and broke down Ann Wilson's My Jesus. Jennifer, after we got one in the books, what do you think about last week? I think it went really well. I was really proud of what we did, so... I hope everyone out there liked it as well. It's a lot of fun. If you've not had a chance to go back, it's not too late. The episodes are going to stay up from now for at least the foreseeable future. The Bible studies are still going to be available. Last week's Bible study is still available right there at Cross Point Church. Going to be available on the website as long as you want to do. So if you're just now tuning in and thinking, man, I'd, I'd like to get caught up. These are standalone lessons right now. You don't have to press pause right now and go find the last episode. All you got to do is do this one, but there are previous episodes back in the archives now. If you're interested in following us along, make sure you go back there and do that. We had a great time with a great discussion talking about maybe maybe my favorite worship song, My Jesus, but as we kind of previewed last week, this week we're kind of hitting Jennifer's favorite worship mm -hmm. song. We're hitting... What a beautiful name. Jennifer, why is this worship song so important to your worship and so powerful to you? I think just every time I hear this song, it just gets me emotional because it hits all the high points and all the, the good stuff that you feel in your heart. So I just, anytime I sing it and it's got a good build to it. So once you get to the end, you're just all in your emotional feels and I feel like it just really, really hits my heart. So I enjoy it a lot. It's, it's a great song. Uh, the song was released back in 2017. It was written by Brooke Ligerwood and, B and Ben Fielding. The song peaked on number one on the contemporary Christian charts in 2017 and actually remained through the top 10 all the way through 2018 when it also earned a Grammy for Best Contemporary Music Performance. But that song is so much more than a musical performance. That song has worship written all over it. It has some great points. And just like last week with Ann Wilson, we're going to hear from Brooke Ligerwood of Hillsong Worship as she tells us a little bit about the writing of that song. The back half of Colossians is one which talks about the supremacy of Christ and talks about, you know, creation being made through Jesus. But then it talks about in, in verse 26 how the mystery um, that was hidden for ages and in generations has now been disclosed to the Lord's people, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And um, I guess it began with just the seed of that idea about um, about God's glory, which we have seen through creation and was hinted at through ages and generations, is fully seen in the person of Jesus Christ. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the who has come face to face with their own flaws and sin and received the grace of Jesus can undoubtedly say that it's the most beautiful thing ever. Um, the name of Jesus is beautiful, it's wonderful. We kind of loved um, almost the nostalgia of that word. Wonderful isn't a really cool word. Um, and so I think we used it quite deliberately because um, I think there's a, a, a power 
to that and to kind of to deliberately insert a little bit of wonder in there. Jesus that breaks chains and heals bodies and uh, frees captives. Um, I think um, we really loved the idea of um, singing about the name of Jesus in a way that kind of unfolded some of the facets of um, the, the beauty, wonder and power of His name. something which someone in their soul knows is the absolute truth and bringing that from a, a heart knowledge to a mouth confession which then becomes you know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so when you hear your own when you hear with your own ears your mouth saying something that's true it creates faith Right there from one of the songwriters, you hear it from her right there about how powerful of a song this is. And if you've not done so yet, I'm going to encourage you to hit pause on the podcast right now. Head right on over to our YouTube page and find the worship songs that are going to go right along with What a Beautiful Name It Is. You'll find them right there under the playlist under Week 2, What a Beautiful Name. But this song, it really starts out, it hits us with three different characteristics of Jesus's name. It talks about what a beautiful name it is, what a wonderful name, and what a powerful name is. But the first words of the song talk about the creation and God's beauty being displayed in creation. How do you feel like Jesus and God's beauty is displayed through creation? I think, I mean, it's displayed all around us. I mean, even, you know, in the seven days of creation that we read about in the Bible, I mean, each of those days just shows the beauty of God's intention and the beauty of what God can do with his hands and did, um, you know, for us ultimately, you know, creating us. So, you know, we've got them laid out um, in front of us. I know we're going to talk about those, but, um, you know, this, the intention of it, it's just... And beautiful, such an intimate word that you use. And so God wants that relationship with us, that, that intimate, close relationship. And, you know, beautiful to me is not something I would just throw around. You know, it's a really meaningful word. So, I mean, through that creation, I mean, I think that he, his glory is everywhere. Um, you know, without God and with, without his glory, you know, we wouldn't have anything. So beautiful is also a word that you use to describe me 
a lot of true. times. That's true. So uh, you're not wrong when you say not to take that word lightly, yeah. especially when yeah. you're talking about me. Yeah. Well. But John uh, chapter 1, verse 1, really harps us to the first line of the song. That verse says, In the beginning the word already existed, the word was with God, and the word was God. The first lines of this song says that you were the word in the beginning, meaning before any of this existed, there was the word. And that was God. And then Genesis 1-1 goes on to tell us, hey, God tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And on day one says, let there be light. At God's command, there was light. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the amazing things to me about the beauty in creation is we see God uh, being manifested in light all throughout the Old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the coolest things about that particular line to me is if you look on the sun, the moon, and the stars, they weren't created until day four. Mm -hmm. And anytime we think of light, we have to have energy that is somehow derived from, from the sun, the moon, water moving through the tides, solar energy. There has to be one of those two that creates the energy that creates light. In day one, there was light without that. How awesome is that to show God's display of power to say, hey, let there be light when the everything that we know is a source of light hasn't been created for another couple of days. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we see God's glory through creation. And on day one, we get the, the, the light. And it tells us that he separates the day and the night. And he really starts to tell us about routine. Right? He starts to tell us about the order of how the day is going to go. And, and if you hear a little rumble in the background, there's a motorcycle rolling right through our neighborhood right now. So uh, I think they're telling us that they love listening to Radio Elevate. <laughs> but uh, um, that routine, Jennifer, I know that makes an important thing to me, especially when we talk about maybe our significance of, of doing God's work, right? Work six days, rest one. That's routine. How important is the routine for you? Well, um, you know, as far as spiritual routine, things like that, I mean, it's, it's crucial. I mean, routine in our everyday life with our children, with the church, things like that, you know, I mean, that's obviously crucial as well. But for, for me spiritually in my heart, it's crucial as well, knowing that I give part of my day, um, hopefully at the same time, cause I, I like routine, but giving some part of my day during the day, um, to the Lord and giving that back to him. And something significant for me on that day one where he he um, differentiated day from night was that he's also telling us that his mercy is new each morning. So we hear that a lot. And so we know now that God created day and night so that when we went to sleep, we could wake up in his glory and his um, in his grace to where, you know, no matter what you did the day before, you know, you can go to sleep, wake up in his lot and wake up, you know, kind of a new person in him. So I, that's what stands out to me in day one is that he's, he's significantly and intentionally made day to night to know that we could wake up and, and have a new day in him and a new opportunity to, to, um, to minister and stuff too. That's what sticks out to me. But, but yeah, routine is crucial and routine, making sure that I give, that time to the Lord every day, that time in his word and devotions like we do on the um, prayer website or the Crosspoint website, um, you know, that's really important. And, and routine is definitely something that you need. You can't be willy-nilly and, you know, here and there. You've got to set that routine and make a habit and make sure that you're you're doing that every day. 
So, you know, routine is not something that we really look at sometimes and say, man, routine's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes yeah. routine kind of can become mundane, but when the you ordinary. really look at it, or ordinary, yeah, mm-hmm. but when you really think about it, routine is really how we function. Mm-hmm. And there's some beauty in function, wake up, you know, prayer towards God, wake up, Bible study, making sure that there's that, that routine, you know, every night before we put the kids to bed, we pray. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, every night before we go to bed, we pray. So there's just something to be said about a beauty in the routine and kind of a routine and how easy it is to get into a routine as long as you're putting God within that routine. Right. But on day two, we get a little bit of a better understanding of the beauty because really, when you dive into what he's saying there, he's really creating the sky and the atmosphere. And he's sort of, maybe in a sense, going from a one-dimensional or two-dimensional plane to now this three-dimensional plane that we're living in. And now we get a beauty in seeing how powerful that the beauty is with God by increasing the earth. Mm-hmm. But I think day three is when we really start to see God's beauty really becoming on display because he starts to make the trees and the vegetation and seed bearing fruits, meaning that there's a replenishment that goes on with all this stuff on here. You can see that God's hand in creation is being prepared for us to dwell on it Mm -hmm. right here, that there's a beauty in that. Mm -hmm. A beauty and an intention, and he's breathing you know, not, not the life you breathe into us, but he's breathing life into the land with the, the different, um, vegetation, the fruit, things like that. So it's intention to where he's making fruit that, you know, we're going to be able to eat fruit that we can live off of, um, and really setting that up for, for, um, you know, all of creation, the animals, all that stuff. So, um, definitely beauty in, in God's routine during this week and his intention. So definitely. And I, and I think we, we hear all the time, you hear hikers all talk about how they they can they can see God's beauty when you get out into the mountains. And, and if you've never been able to go out in a drive through the mountains or if you've never been able to go to the beach necessarily, when you stand there and you see the vastness of what God has created, I mean, I can think anytime I've ever been to the beach, my first thought when you step out on the balcony and look out over the sand and through the horizon is, Man, that's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? That's stuff that's not really been tampered with by man so much, and God's beauty is in display all over that mm-hmm. right there. If you've ever seen a picture of some of these roads that don't get maintained over the years, and you see the earth taking back control of those roads, mm-hmm. that's God's creation taking back control of his creation and yeah. the beauty coming right back through that. Day four the sun, the moon, the stars, all that gets created. Day five, the sea life, uh, all of them get created. But an interesting note here, and and we're going to touch on this here in just a minute, but one of the terms that he uses about the sea life and the birds is that they were all created in their same kind. And I just want to kind of put an asterisk right there on that because we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But day six, that's the biggie, right? That's the big day right there. That's the day that first he creates animals. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I kind of look at that to mean that he's created the other mammals that are inhabiting this earth. Mm-hmm. Things that, you know, dogs, right? Mm-hmm. Cats, bears, all that stuff that mm-hmm. that we've come to know as creatures that are kind of similar to what we would see roaming the earth today. But then the big human get created. Mm-hmm. 
his greatest creation is created. Human, Adam, Eve, they're created. Not only do we get humans being created, we get humans created in a relationship with God. We get humans created to have dominion over everything else that's already been created, right? God's created this perfect planet all leading up to the creation of Adam mm -hmm. to say, hey, this is yours. And then he's like, you need the perfect companion. Boom, now I'm giving you Eve. So another thing that we don't always talk about, we talk about the beauty that's made on the earth, right? We talk about the beauty that we can see in the skies and in the sun and in the stars and through the oceans deep. There's tons of beauty there and all the wildlife. What we don't talk about is the relationship aspect that he's given us on that sixth day of creation. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And it's so important that we have that relationship with one another. But day seven... That's another biggie. And that one might be my favorite day. That's the day of rest right there. Mm -hmm. What does having a day of rest tell you or remind you about the importance of taking some time for rest? That even the creator needed rest. That he needed to sit back and look at what he had created and, and bask in that. And, and, you know, we should do the same thing. It's what we do on Sundays. That's what, you know, we take that day of rest to rest in what and look in what God has God done in our life and give thanks and give um, give praise to him for that and really sit back and rest and recharge and just really, you know, look at our lives and, and see, you know, what we can be doing and what we've done and what God's done for us. So, I mean, even the creator needs rest. So we definitely need rest. And there's beauty in that too, right? Mm -hmm. So God's even telling us right here that, hey, listen, there's beauty in taking it easy sometimes. Yeah. There's beauty in recharging and relaxing. And I mean, there's nothing cooler than sitting down and watching a family movie, right? Mm -hmm. You know, something's like, ah, oh, you're not doing anything. Sometimes resting and relaxing might be the most important thing that you get done during that week. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not recharged and renewing your affirmation in God through the rest, you're not going to be strong and ready to defend God the other six days of the week. And you want to take the time to enjoy what you've done throughout that week and really enjoy, you know, because, I mean, God made humans in those relationships. And at that point, you know, they were, you know, in that, that tight relationship with God in the Garden of Eden and there was no sin. Everything was perfect. So, of course, God wanted to use that seventh day to really sit back and enjoy what he had done. He had done so much to really just enjoy that and sit and dwell in that and really, you know, just enjoy it. So, you know, we do the same things, especially on Sundays. It's the best day for a nap, Sunday afternoon. So we enjoy those kind of things. And so it's the highlight of my week. It is. Yeah. It's the highlight of my week. The I kids get nap, we nap. Yeah, All as well. between church and Elevate, that's the greatest <laughs> nap you can ever have. It's like the best hour and a half that you can ask for. Yeah, if you didn't snore so much, it'd be good on me, but, oh, you know. That, that hurts. Okay. That hurts slightly. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned perfection, and you mentioned the garden a minute ago. And, and that's just the perfect segue to kind of our next talking point here. We talked about God's beauty. One of the things about God's beauty that that we've complicated is how simple God's beauty is to us, right? Mm -hmm. God created it. He created it for us. He created it for us to enjoy and admire, but Satan has to come in and ruin everything, right? Mm -hmm. He has to come in and steal the joy because that's 
what he does. And what he does is when he comes into the garden, he complicates what God has made easy for us. He deceives Eve. Now, he doesn't lie to Eve, right? The whole time, he doesn't lie to her, but he deceives her. When God says, hey, you can eat from literally anything here, just don't eat from that tree right there. That's the one thing. If you eat that, you're going to be like me. Don't do that. There's beauty in that with God trying to hide us from what the other world of sin and everything is. But when Satan rolls in and says, did God really tell you that you can't do that and deceive Eve? That's when the simplicity of creation got totally messed up. And at that point, the beauty, we had to start looking past sin to see beauty. And now sin sometimes looks attractive and we distort what beauty actually is. Mm -hmm. We mistake sin for beauty. And that's what our flesh does. And so when when Adam and Eve did eat the fruit, their, you know, their flesh won at that point. And so, you know, what our flesh does is it deceives us into thinking that sin is beautiful, that sin is desirable. Satan makes us believe that, you know, sin is the way to go, that, that, that that's what we should do when, when it's not. And, you know, the beauty, you know, and like you said, the simplicity of that creation was was torn away. I mean, Adam and Eve, once they ate that, they were ashamed of, they were ashamed, they were embarrassed. They were ashamed to be seen by God due to their sin. They wanted to cover up. They wanted to run and hide. They were scared. I mean, that's the opposite of what God wanted, obviously. And so sin really, um, you know, really did mess up that that simplicity and that beauty and, and the, the peace and joy of creation. So the song, What a Beautiful Name, references God's hidden glory in creation, right? And that's why we're talking about creation right now. Now, we've just spent, I don't know, the last... 10 minutes or so really talking about creation. We could have simplified that even further and said, hey, how did the earth come to be? Well, God created it in six days. He rested on the seventh. That's pretty easy. We can look up a little bit more later. But we have now, as a society, been arguing about creation and how we've come to be for years and years and years. Now we have things like the Big Bang Theory telling us that that's how creation got created. But here's what nobody ever really talks about on the Big Bang Theory. It's so complicated and convoluted that nobody really truly understands what it really is. It was created by an astronomer named Fred Hoyle in the 1940s. His theory did not even gain popularity until 30 years later in the 70s. And by the way, uh, this guy only died back in 2001. But here's the deal about that, right? We know what the truth is in the beauty in creation. And if we trust God's word, we know how simple that actually is. But when Satan comes in and complicates things, that's when everything gets totally out of whack, right? This guy was just an astronomer. He was just a dude that had a theory. Mm -hmm. That's all that was, was the Big Bang Theory. Not the Big Bang Truth, the Big Bang Theory. And here's a little known fact about the guy that created the Big Bang Theory. One of the last interviews that he said, he quoted this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with the chemistry and biology that there are no blind forces we're speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put it to this conclusion, 
almost beyond question. In other words, what he's saying is there has to be a creator. There is nothing about this that could not be a creator that has made this because it operates outside of the laws of science of which we know. So for ever since the 70s, we've been debating creation versus the Big Bang Theory, and we've gotten so involved in the muck and the mire and the complications that come with the Big Bang that we've gotten away from the simplicity of creation. He just backed off of his theory later in life to the fact that we don't really know if he died a believer or not necessarily, but the man that created the theory backed off on the fact that the Big Bang actually happened. The creator of the Big Bang, his, his center of belief changed throughout the years. God's truth in creation never changes. And the same can be said with any theory that we run across when it comes to anything that's against God's word. It all becomes a theory and none of it can be proven. But we can and we always will prove God's word. Agreed. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the other verses of this of this worship song and we're going to talk about the other ones but right now i want to remind you that if you're listening to this today on the day that it drops on june the 18th there is no elevate tonight but next week we're going to be going out there to abounding grace baptist churches a plot that they have back there right behind dollar tree and laying a smack down on Abounding Grace Baptist Church and hitting them with the dodgeballs everywhere you look. Again, that's going to be next week, but tonight, if you're listening to this on June 18th, there is no Elevate meeting tonight. The song goes on and it tells us what a wonderful name that God is. What a wonderful name it is. And it talks about how God has brought heaven down. How do you see God bringing a glimpse of heaven down here to earth? I think through God's word, through the Bible. I mean, that's a living, breathing, you know, depiction of, of God and, you know, what he's about and what, you know, what he's teaching us and what we live by. So, I mean, a glimpse of heaven I can get here on earth is, is through God's word. Um, something else that, that I was thinking about is also through the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, you know, it says you didn't want heaven without us. So you brought heaven down. Um, he brought salvation to us so we could, you know, obtain that through repentance so that one day we could live with him forever. So, I mean, an embodiment of heaven, you know, a glimpse of heaven on earth is, is through, you know, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, Jesus shed on the cross, um, you know, bringing that heaven to us so that we can obtain that salvation. Um, you know, he wanted to give us a second chance for our sins to be atoned so that we could live in perfect creation with him again one day. You know, you talked about the relationships that he brought down with Christ, and he's given us a, a way to continue a relationship with Christ. But another example of that is through the relationships that we get to have with one another. Mm -hmm. We can heart back to that sixth day of creation right there. He created relationships. There's going to be relationships with one another in heaven. Right. The book of Revelation tells us that when we look upon the masses, we see them worshiping and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 
So we know that there is worship in heaven. There will be music in heaven. There will be honor and praise and worship given to God in heaven. How can we feel that kind of worship here on earth? You know, really connecting with the words. Like she said, the person that wrote the the song saying that this is, you know, what you're feeling in your heart and you're articulating it through your mouth to God um, you know, I feel like we can feel that that here as well, really connecting with the Lord, not just saying the words and singing it on Sundays, but really, you know, closing your eyes or what, however you feel connected and really speaking those words to God through prayer and through worship. You can really feel that even in this song, a part of it says the heavens are roaring. I don't believe that's roaring in a an actual roaring way. They're roaring with worship and praise and song. Because, you know, we all, I mean, the Song of Psalms, we see all throughout the Bible that songs and music are such a huge part in the worship of, of the Lord, even in the Old Testament, the New Testament. So, you know, I really feel if we connect that, connect that with our hearts and with our mouths and with our minds and really sing those words to the Lord that you can really feel, feel that connected, get those goosebumps, really feel like you're singing those praises to the Lord and really, you know, connect with him and know that he's listening and he, this is bringing his heart joy. We're bringing joy to him through our worship. And so that's the whole point of all these songs and all these playlists is, is to really just bring joy to him and bring joy to him in heaven. Um, so he knows that we're, you know, connecting with him on that level in our relationship. So there's kind of a, a distinct change in tone in the middle of this verse on the song. After he says, Sir Jesus, you brought heaven down, and we're talking about worship, we go back to a little bit of a relational aspect. And it says, my sin was great, your love was greater, what could separate us now? Those words are really talking about the struggle that we have in our flesh versus the love that we have within Jesus and in our relationship with Jesus. And it's really powerful to me to hear the statement that Jesus' love was greater than our sin. And that's so important to me because we were created and ever since the garden, we've had sinful hearts, right? And if we sit here and think about that, we think about, man, our life can be a wreck. And if you really sit there alone and you think, man, if people knew the sins that even rolled through my head, they'd never even talk to me, right? But God knows what those are. Mm -hmm. But his love for you, his love for me is greater than those sinful thoughts or even those sinful actions that we've occurred. How's Jesus's love greater than our sin? How do you think it's greater than our sin? I mean, he delivered us from our sin. So the love, there's no one that's ever going to love you enough to endure what Christ did on the cross to take your sin on so you can go to heaven pretty much, you know, free of charge in, you know, except for the repentance part. I mean, pretty much free of charge. In my life, being a mother, I always compare mine and Christ's relationship to mine with my children because that's just a really easy correlation. You know, obviously God is our father. He, you know, has that father relationship with you. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people that I would lay my life down for besides my children. And, you know, I feel that from, from the Lord also. Um, you know, no matter what my child would do, no matter what they would say to me, no matter what they thought, I would love them unconditionally. And, and it's the same thing for, from the Lord. I mean, no matter what we do, no matter what we say, as long as we have a repenting heart and as long as we um, ask for forgiveness in, with him and, and long for that relationship like he longs for us, then he's going to love us anyways. 
And he, he will never regret dying on the cross for you. And he'll never regret dying on the cross for me to give us that choice, that free will choice to be in a relationship with him, with him, to live with him for eternity. So, I mean, I can't think of a greater love, you know, than that, than for him to, to endure what he did on the cross for me. And I still don't believe it most of the days that he would do that for somebody like me, but he did. And so, you know, those songs of worship are just, that's the least we could do. That's the least, you know, the, that thanks that we can give him, you know, he deserves it all. You say, you know, I, I can't believe he'd do it for just me, mm-hmm. right? And 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 we think that, and you said that, but we all think that, that like mm-hmm. we're just a number yeah. floating around here. But, you know, the Bible tells us that God knows every aspect about us. He knows mm-hmm. the hairs on our head. He knows, you know, the freckles on our skin. He knows everything about us. We're more than just a number to him. That's why he went to the cross. That's why we were the last creation that were given dominion over the rest of the earth because we have a special more empowered relationship with him that he found it so important to come down here, live as we did, feel as we feel so that he could forgive us and live a sinless life. But unfortunately, that's not what we live, right? We live incredibly sinful lives. And I know in my own life, man, I struggle with sin daily. Somebody passes me on the road and cuts me off in traffic. My first thought is not, Lord bless them. By any stretch, my first thought is I'd like to drag this guy out of the car for a minute, right? Like, I struggle with my sin all the time. I struggle with anger. I struggle with aggravation. I struggle with confusion. Why do you think it is so hard or why we struggle so hard with our sin? Well, um, obviously our flesh desires the worldly things, but you have to actively make a choice every day, every minute, every hour to overcome those desires of the flesh to follow Christ and be Christ-like. You have to actively make that decision every minute. So when all your kids are screaming at you at once, you're trying to make dinner, you have to actively think, what is, you know, what would Christ do? How, how can I act more like Christ and show that to my children, my peers, my fellow people at church? You have to, and I think that's what makes it so hard for people, is it's not a passive thing. A relationship with the Lord is not something that you just get saved and then you do no work. It's not something, you know, like that. You have to actively make those choices every day at school, every day at work, every day at church, every day driving, every day at basketball practice, at all these places. You have to actively make those decisions to continue to be Christ-like and do what pleases the Lord, just like in our worship. So I think that's what makes it so hard for people. So the decision's easy, right? We get in there, if we're aware of it in the moment, hey, what would Jesus do in this moment, yeah. right? The decision's easy, but the allure of sin becomes difficult. Then it hits us with the, well, what's so-and-so going to think if I do this or whatever, right? But it's the simplicity goes back to, look, there is a right and wrong. How would Jesus act in this situation? And sometimes it's easier to do the wrong thing. So if you take something out of your buggy, if you forget to take something out of your buggy at Walmart, you get to your car and you're like, I didn't pay for this. What's the easy thing? The easy thing is going to be to put it in your car and be like, oh, well, it's just 99 cents. The right thing to do is to not steal. It's to go back and to do the hard thing, the inconvenient thing, to go back into Walmart, scan it, pay for it, and then take it back to your car. That's just the first example I thought of. But it's not always the easy thing to to do the right thing. Sometimes it's the hard, inconvenient, 
are people going to judge me? What are they going to say kind of thing? So it's active choice, and I think that's what makes it so difficult. And, and the same could be said about worship, right? Yeah. Sunday mornings, I mean, I, we actually had a, a, a listen from the Ukraine when I looked at our stuff for the week. But most people listening to this podcast are within the United States of America mm-hmm. and, and, and largely within the Jonesboro bubble, right? Mm-hmm. We have an easy decision to make on Sunday mornings we can get up and go to church. Right. We live in a country that we have the freedom to get up and go worship God, mm-hmm. right? Without fear of being arrested or things like that. That's the easy decision. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we're seeing less and less and less and less people coming through the doors of a church to honor and worship God because they're listening to what some of the outside world's saying. Oh, mm-hmm. they don't love everybody. Yeah. They don't do this. I, I couldn't follow a God that does fill in the, the sin blank right mm-hmm. here, right? But the easy decision is God told me to go worship. He told me to rest on Sunday. And resting is recharging in God and God's word. Right. And I can only do that with other believers, like-minded believers that can help recharge me, that I can honor and worship God with. That's mm-hmm. the easy thing, right? It's the sin that complicates that but it's that that allure the easy thing might be to lay in bed Mm -hmm. the easy thing might be to go have breakfast and not go on to church it takes a little bit of dedication to make that right answer of hey i need to go to church this morning Mm -hmm. one lyric i love from this verse of the song and i know i know when she wrote it it probably wasn't meant to be like that but i kind of read it as a, hey, what now to sin? And a, hey, what are you going to do about this devil? And he uses the term, what can separate us now? Because God's came back down, right? He created this perfect world for us, us and our flesh. We screwed it up, no doubt about it. God looks down and says, all right, I'm going to make another way. He comes down, makes another way. And now our sins are forgiven. All it takes is that belief in Christ. And I kind of read that as her being kind of sarcastic to sin and saying, what you going to do about it now, right? How do you read that that line? Um, I think of it as more of a self-reflection. I'd, I'd try to make the worship songs as personal as I can. But I think of it more of like a self-reflection for each person with what they might be going through when they hear that song, that nothing can separate them from the love of Christ. No sin, no matter how bad it is, can separate you from him if you repent and come to know him. That he is such a loving God that no matter what, you can come to him and find forgiveness in a relationship. Um, it speaks to his glory and his mercy. Um, you know, you think as you sing, nothing is too important to separate me from the Lord. So um, what can separate us now? You're kind of singing that as a thanks to God of his, you know, what was the line before it? Your your sin was, my sin was great. Your love was greater. What can separate us now? Um, that speaks to me on the crucifixion and, you know, just singing, nothing's more important and nothing's going to separate me from, from you. You know, you did the ultimate deed for me. You know, what, what can separate us now? Well, I truly hope you like what we're doing. 
right here on the podcast. If you want to follow along, there's a great Bible study that we're going to have each and every week. It's posted right there at www.radioelevatepod.com. Hey, I recommend you do the Bible study first if you can, then come listen to this afterwards. Get your own thoughts together and then hear the perspective from Jennifer and I sitting here just diving into God's Word and the worship songs throughout this series. But make sure you go check out that website where you can get the the devotional that goes along with this lesson and you can also find a link that'll go to the worship that's also going to enhance the rest of this message but as we continue through we get to the last i guess kind of the bridge of the song we start to talk about what a powerful name it is hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 says long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins... He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. God displays his power throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, mm-hmm. and in each life that we have. And I think this is, and this is really when the song's kicking in, right? Mm-hmm. This is when hands are in the air. This is when we've really felt it. And I, I'm going to tell you, as a guy who's led worship a bunch of times, this is always one that you can feel the Spirit of God moving around mm-hmm. that room in because the words of this song just hit you in a place that wants you to honor and worship God. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about what a powerful name it is. We see God's power all throughout everything, right? We've already talked about the death and crucifixion, right? That's like Christianity day one. God died for our sins and mm-hmm. defeated death. Right. But let's let's think about that a minute. God displayed his power through defeating death. Nothing else has ever done this. Right. Nothing else has ever been able to defeat death. Now, God, yes, has rose people from the dead. People have been dead and then alive again. That has happened. But, but through through his hands. Through his hands, his hands yeah. right? Jesus dies on the cross, like clinically dead. In a public display. Yeah, there's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. And look, go read the research. If you're, a, if you're a science guy, go read the research about how anybody could survive what Jesus went through. There's no way. Or if the Roman soldiers were just wrong about him actually being dead. That's not what happened. Jesus was dead. He had flatlined. Three days later, he's come back to life. I mean, what does the power of God speak to you through his resurrection? Just that there is no one more powerful. There's no one equal to God. There's no one more powerful. There's no one even close, even close to that. And it's just crazy that the God that can bring himself back to life, you know, loves us so much that he would bear all that pain and all that suffering um, for us. But he's also all-powerful, all-knowing. He knew what he knew it was going to happen. He went to the cross knowing that he was going to bear that, and then in three days he would come back to life. I mean, his disciples didn't know you know, his mother Mary didn't know, but he knew. He knew, but and he also knew what he was gonna, what pain he was gonna bear as well. So, 
I can't imagine how how hard that was on him. But well, hey, and even in his flesh, right? right. He struggled with it. Right. Hours before he goes to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Crying. Hey, yeah, hey, God, listen, if there's any other way we can do this, let's yeah. do that. Because yeah. this ain't going to be fun up here. No. He knows that. And look, if this were you, if this were me, if this were anybody else with the exception of the one and only Son of God, we would have hit the road. Oh, 100%. Right? I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm not strong enough to do this. I can't do this. Anybody but me. God or Jesus is the only one that could do that because he's doing that at God's power. Right. Right. He's showing God's power through him right there. Yeah. Through his strength and his endurance and, you know, just doing the thing. It's it's crazy. And, you know, he's in that the garden before if there can be another way let that let that happen. He's in prayer. He's crying. He's by himself. And then while he's on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that speaks volumes. Um, but through the power of God and his strength, I mean, he he went through it and he he rose again. It's crazy. I mean, there's no there's nothing that will ever be or that will ever come that is more powerful than God. And he's so powerful, and he's so. It's so incredible, really. He's sitting there going through an agonizing thing. I mean, look, once he's on the cross, let's face it, the hours leading up to the cross were as bad as what he was dealing with on the cross. He's still doing his father's work on the cross as he looks over to the criminal and says, hey, you're going to be with me in paradise today, man. Mm -hmm. You believe believe who I am? You believe in God? I got you. You coming up Mm -hmm. with me today. It's going to be over in a few hours, right? We're not going to have that power. If that's us, if we get to that point, it's like, man, I'm just ready to die and get this over. God is still doing his work until the death actually occurs. And then he's really just getting to work. Right. Because then he's going and proving that he he has been who he said he was. We see his power all over that right there through us. We can hark back to creation, right? Nothing else could do that. As, as we discussed a few minutes ago, the, the creator of the leading theory that goes against Christianity has come back on his theory and said, well, I don't know. Uh, there had to be a creator. That creator has to be greater than us. Yeah. That creator has to be more powerful than the, you. The Me. universe, anything. He created the universe. He has dominion over it and everything in it. It's not just creation. It's everything before, during, and after creation that he shows his power in. He's in control, right? We, we as humans want to think that our flesh is showing the control that comes with God. God's in control. Mm-hmm. I know that's cheesy. I know that's hokey, right? Oh, God's got this, Right. But it's the truth. It's the truth. When we trust in the power of God, we can see that, look, I'd love to have the power to raise somebody from the dead. Mm -hmm. I'd love to speak to my grandmother one more time. Mm -hmm. I don't have that power. Only God does. The only solace that we have in that is I know my grandmother was saved, right? And I know through his power, she's with him in heaven at the moment. And his power is not only shown in the big things like... The crucifixion, you know, creation, you know, feeding the hungry, you know, getting water out of a rock. It's not just in the big things, it's in the little things. I mean, he shows his power everywhere. I mean, you know, in giving people the ability to have children. I mean, that's power. He is creating a child out of, 
out of, you know, your body that he created, obviously, too. But he is creating that child in your womb. I mean, that's power, um, you know, in all sorts of things. He shows his power daily in the small stuff. And that's where God really, really works on your relationship with him is in the small things, in your day-to-day life when you know that you can lean on God and his power in your life to know that he's not going to stir you wrong, that, you know, if you go in the wrong direction, he's going to help to lead you back where he wants you. It's in the little things and the power of prayer and things like that where he's really going to get that intimate, you know, father-child relationship with you that you're going to, you know, strive for. The bridge of this song keeps displaying the victory that really comes when we accept Jesus Christ in our life. You know, it says that death couldn't hold him, mm-hmm. right? We've we've dived into that all yeah. throughout this. I'm not going to continue talking about that necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it says that he silenced the arrogance of sin and shame. Mm-hmm. He silenced the arrogance of sin. I never thought about that. I never thought about sin being arrogant. Mm-hmm. But arrogance is a display of portraying like you're greater than you are. Right. That's exactly what sin does in our life. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we harp back to the garden. That we know more than God does. Yeah. We, that we know better for ourselves than he does. And and when the serpent comes into the garden, he's putting that thought mm-hmm. in our mind. Yeah. And he's trying to make us believe that there's something greater than God out mm-hmm. there. And every sin that we commit is because we think we know a little bit better than God does. Or that we're missing out on something more, something greater. Right. And how arrogant mm-hmm. is it for us to think that we may know better than the creator of the universe. I know when I felt the calling to come into youth ministry, I looked for every reason in the world not to follow that calling. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, no, who am I to be so arrogant to think I know better for my life than God does, which is something I fight with every day, by the way. Every decision I make, who am I to challenge God's plan for me in my life. How arrogant is my sin for that? Right, I agree. We've talked about the heavens roaring Mm -hmm. with the praise of his glory. You know, if you've ever been to like a NASCAR race, Mm -hmm. right, but you've not been inside, right, you've just been on the outside, Mm -hmm. or maybe you've been to a giant concert, right? You're not in in the stadium, right? You're on the outside of it, but you hear that rumble. Yeah. You hear that roar. That's what heaven is, right? Yeah. If you're standing right outside of heaven, you can hear that. I guarantee you, if you could stand outside heaven, you would hear that worship. What not being with God is, is being able to know that that worship's there, but not take part in it. It's amazing to think of the rumble of that worship, that if you could hear it legitimately from heaven, what it would sound like. Gives me chill bumps. Right. It makes your heart swell, yeah. It'd have to be awesome. Yeah. It'd have to be awesome. I, I love imagine. playing guitar, right? I love leading worship. It's yeah. one of my favorite aspects of ministry is leading worship. There's no greater feeling. And imagine doing it with the angels. Yeah. 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 Who we have dominion over too, yeah. right? If I've got an angel as my bass player, that's going to be awesome, <laughs> right? And imagine the bass guitar they're going to have in heaven. It's going to yeah. be fantastic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you think about that stuff, Mm -hmm. it's going to be awesome. And nothing gives you a greater feeling of 
doing God's work than leading worship and looking out and seeing people legitimately worshiping. And connected with the Lord, yeah. Yeah, listen, we're worshiping at Cross Point with, you know, between 90 and 150 people at a time, mm-hmm. twice, a, twice a morning, depending on which service you come to, right? Mm-hmm. That's an amazing feeling that you kind of get on cloud nine for. Couldn't imagine. That's a drop in the bucket in heaven. Yeah, yeah. it's not anything. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so small. Yeah. That would have to be such an awesome feeling mm-hmm. to be a part of real, true worship in heaven. And by the way, worship here on earth, hey, we're going to have some faults. No, it's nothing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not even going to be even close to what that's going to be. There's no amount of, of, of stage lights and, and, and shows and, and brands of instruments and all that that could rival anything of how beautiful that worship's going to be. But another phrase she talks about there is, you have no rival. Mm -hmm. You have no equal. I got to thinking about that, man, and I like football, right? I'm I'm a dude. Of course I like football. There's always a rivalry in any any sport, NASCAR, uh, football, whatever. There's always a rival, right? Even popular brands have a rival. Coke has Pepsi, right? That are similar. Yeah, there's always going to be similar, but... One thing about a rival is rivals typically have a competitive nature, right? Mm-hmm. And I think back, you know, several years ago in football, it was always who's the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. They're both phenomenal football players. You can make an argument to whichever one is the better quarterback, right? When you're talking about God, he has no rival. No, he has no comparison. There's no one that you could put up to him or that you could even possibly put up to him to, to compare. Yeah, he had a rival once. It was Satan. Yeah. He got smacked down pretty quick, right? Like, yeah. it was not even a thing. And now he's so ticked off over it, he's trying to stir the world up against God, right? Yeah. There, that's not even a rivalry. He never had a chance against the Creator, right? Yeah. Why? Because he was the Creator, he was, Satan's trying to be better than the person that created him. Like God didn't know his thoughts. Like God didn't have a hold of that situation before it even popped into Satan's mind. There is no rival. There is no equal. And that's where we get into so much trouble here in our flesh is the world is looking for that rival. Mm-hmm. They're looking for what is as good as God. And they're looking for something easier. They're looking for something that they can do to where they can get into heaven or whatever they believe in due to what they can, what jobs they can do, what they can do with their works. They want something easy. They don't want a heart change. They don't want to do what, what we know is the truth. What is God's word? They want to look to different gods that, and take the easy way out and take the, the, the way out where they don't necessarily have to do the right thing. They just have to do, you know, certain things, whatever those religions think. So, I mean, you they look to those things that are not the truth. They're false gods, but but they want to take the more of the easy way out. They might be a rival, but they're certainly not equal. No, they're not even in the same ballpark. They're not equal. They're, it's because they're not real. No. Right? Allah, he's not real. Mm-hmm. Buddha, he's not real. And I know some of that stuff in today's world is unpopular to say, but that doesn't take away from the simplicity of the truth 
that God is the one and only God. There is one way to the Father that is through his Son, Jesus Christ, for us to have for everlasting life and be in heaven with God where we can experience that awesome worship that he has ready for us upon our demise from this sinful world that we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. And us as believers have to stand and and not be afraid to make people uncomfortable or hurt feelings and, and let them know that this is the truth. This is the way, this is the way to heaven. This is, there's no, there is no other way. So we have to, you know, stand up and speak the truth, just like, you know, Pastor Greg does every Sunday, speak the truth of God's word, um, you know, while we're keeping each other safe and, and healthy and things like that, but also speak the truth and, you know, and do what's best, best for the Lord and his kingdom. Well, indeed, what a beautiful name that it truly is. What an amazing, amazing song of worship. What a beautiful name is, man. We've taken three topics, right? Beautiful, wonderful, powerful, and broken that down to talk about what a wonderful name that he is. Jennifer, final thoughts on what a beautiful name. Well, I just, you know, I really listened to this song a few times and really meditated on it, on the, you know, the words, the wonderful, powerful, beautiful And it just really, you know, really sat in my heart that we get to experience God in so many different ways and wonder his wonderful ways, his powerful ways, you know, his beautiful, intimate ways, you know, he longs for that relationship with us. And in that relationship, we see all of the, his different sides that God is merciful and he's loving, but he's also just, and, and we see, we get to see both of those sides. And I just think that that's really special because even in the other, like, religions we talked about they don't get that personal relationship with their made up god they don't get to have that intimate relationship and that that intimacy of their mercy and grace and and to know that they're loved they don't get that and we get that with god we get the wonderful the beautiful but also the powerful sides of him and i just think that you know his name is all that and just hearing his name you know, should stir our hearts to worship. And and that song really did that for me. So I got to see, you know, really think on that. And it's always been a favorite song of mine. So I've always loved it. When Ellen sings it, I've always always loved it and and loved to hear it. But, you know, when you really sit back and break it down like we do and and really think about it, it really brings it to another level. But but those are my thoughts. The thing I, I love about this song, so much worship music that comes out Feel like I feel like it's only loosely worship music, mm-hmm. right? And, and one of the things that we're trying to do with this ultimate summer playlist is we're trying to give you a basis of really good songs, but really good songs that are truly worship. Right. And I don't know that there's not a better one than what a beautiful name, mm-hmm. because indeed, what an absolute beautiful name that it is—the name of Jesus. Jennifer, that's the next one. That's episode number two. We've already got it in the books. All right. That's a good one. I hope y'all have had a great time next week. We've got another favorite of mine coming up. We're going to be checking out Elevation Worship's Graves 
to Gardens. That's one of my favorites right there. Can't wait to look at it. Hey, make sure you check out that website, www.radioelevatepod.com, where you can follow along in the Bible study that goes right along with this podcast that we've done today. And you can check out that worship playlist that's going to enhance, that just keeps growing throughout the summer. We might even have a t-shirt that says willy-nilly for Jennifer on it next week. That's becoming her catchphrase. Until next week, my name's Cody. I'm Jennifer. And this has been Radio Elevate. Have a great week. Bye.